Guys, welcome to the I Love Siebel Show. My name is Jerry Miller. Thank you kindly for joining us on a Wednesday. This network is literally alive on every social media platform known to mankind, including 15 Facebook pages, 15 Twitter accounts, LinkedIn, Twitter, YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok, and ilovesiebel.com. What we do on this show is have conversations that are raw and real, that are local and difficult and we do it in a long form generally an hour plus straight without commercial interruption and we encourage you the viewer and listener to offer comments and perspective in the feed and then you literally are shaping the discussion of what we're talking about today frankly there's nothing else like this in central virginia and we work hard to deliver content that matters to you on a day-to-day basis and it's difficult work it frankly involves reading of every single media outlet humanly possible in central virginia regionally nationally and if it's content nationally that we read we try to localize personalize and humanize it from a central virginia lens um I love connecting with you guys. I truly do. And I'm grateful for the viewers and listeners of this fine and fair talk show and for partners like Scott Wagner Integrated Medicine. Dr. Wagner has your back. Who's got your back? Dr. Wagner of Scott Wagner Integrated Medicine. I would encourage anyone watching the program to take a look at the headlines on screen. Um, These are some of the ideas I want to relay, topic and talking points that I want to relay on air. But I'm open-minded to changing the discussion based on what you guys want to chatter about um, on this Wednesday. Our studio's in downtown Charlottesville. We have an update. This is crowdsourced news. Vanessa Parkhill, the queen of Earliesville, shot a, took a photo of Stonefield. We already got it on screen? Yeah, just got oh, it Oh, look screen. at that. Judah Wickhauer, job well done. Let's give Judah Wickhauer, director, some props. Let me know when you want to show it. Look at the screen. Everybody look at the screen. Look at the screen. Look at the screen. Vanessa Parkhill sent us this photo, the Queen of Earliesville. Um, She says, this is Stonefield, and work is currently being done at the old Champion Grill. And as we discussed on this talk show, it is going to be a Korean barbecue spot. The work has started. Vanessa, I did not know the work has started yet. My friend, I am grateful for this picture. You know that, why don't we go on a two-shot? We got the photos to on screen for that Champion Grill location. Let's go to a, a two-shot after you keep it on screen for a little bit longer, maybe like three or four more seconds. And then I want to go to a two-shot with you, J-Dubs. J-Dubs, J-W, Judah B. Wickhauer, the director of the show, The Jack of All Trades. The Champion Grill location in Stonefield is a really sweet spot. The yep. question is, the question is, is the rent so high that it's insurmountable for a business to survive there? Yeah, I mean, uh, it seems to be, uh, I mean, not, <clears throat> it's not going through places like, uh, you know, real fast, but uh, it has gone through a few uh, iterations. Roxol yeah, was there to start. For quite a while. And uh, so, yeah, hopefully, uh, hopefully this place will, uh, hopefully they've got their, their T's crossed and their I's dotted, and uh, they they know what they need to, to make it work here. Korean barbecue, Stonefield, Champion Grill, coming soon. Thank you, Vanessa, for that. I was told by insiders that Rock Salt, the initial tenant 
in that restaurant location. It's an end cap. End yeah. caps are valuable. Um, that rock salt was paying $19,000 a month in rent. Yeah. And I'm I sure also, it's gone up. Yeah. Well, um, I, I also heard that Hunter Smith of Champion Grill got a sweetheart of a deal when he replaced Champion, when he replaced rock salt. Hmm. Um, but in the end, he got behind on bills and rent at that location, and that's why it closed. How long, how long had Rock Salt been out of there when, uh, when Champion Grill took it on? Not that long. Um, hmm. Months, not year plus. Yeah. Just wondering if that might have had anything to do with the sweetheart deal. Well, I think what Stonefield was trying to do is localize the shopping center. Bring in a big local brand. Yeah, bring a local brand in. Because the knock on Stonefield is the national brands in the center. And the fact that mm-hmm. the center is not localized, personalized, and humanized for Central Virginia. And yeah. we know the Charlottesville area prides itself in supporting local. Right. Um, I've also heard that Trevinia, Trevinia now closed the Italian restaurant by the movie theater, is, uh, or was, excuse me, was, past tense, paying $28,000 a month in rent. $28,000 a month is astronomical. Is anybody in that spot now? I can't seem to remember. It's vacant. Yeah. Um, they, uh, who told us this? I forget who told us this. One of our insider sources told us this, that Stonefield went to Burton's and asked Burton's to take over the Trevinia spot <laughs> and said they would hook them up. And the owner of Burton's said, no way, dude. I'm not moving from here. I got street sign visibility from the road. Um, yeah. And I'm not going to take an inside unit despite how sexy that inside unit is. And the Trevinia, the old Trevinia location is extremely sexy in Stonefield. I mean, you got it's those also, outside fire pits. It's also enormous. It's ginormous. This is what I'm going to be following closely. Before we get into the nitty-gritty that we want to talk about, thank you, uh, VP, Queen of Earliesville, for sending us this. I'm going to be following the survival, the survival rate. Maybe we come up with a branded terminology for this. The survival index. Hmm. The longevity index of the following restaurants locally. I think in the city of Charlottesville, the restaurant that is paying the most monthly rent, I'm quite confident I'm correct on this, is Ralph Sampson's Tap House and Barracks Road. Ralph Sampson's Tap House is a island pad. It's not in the shopping center. It's pulled out from the shopping center. It's isolated. It's an island pad. You pay the most for an island pad. I want to see if Ralph Sampson's Tap House can survive there. I'm also going to follow Brazos Tacos very closely. In the old Bricks Pizza spot in Barracks Road Shopping Center, Brazos Hmm. Tacos is opening its second location in the very near future. They have to sell a hell of a lot of tacos and margaritas to cover the federal realty rent of that island pad in Barracks Road Shopping Center. And then the third restaurant that I'm going to be following very closely is this Korean barbecue restaurant that's coming to the old Champion Grill spot. Your two highest restaurants in the city of Charlottesville from a rent standpoint are Ralph Sampson's Tap House and Brazos Tacos and Barracks Road Shopping Center. The two highest right there. From an Albemarle County standpoint, Shops of Stonefield, Albemarle County, I would say it's whoever replaces Trevinia. And if you missed yesterday's program, the scuttlebutt I'm hearing... Fans of the show walking by. we got to wave to our friends and family over there. Um, if you missed yesterday's program, the scuttlebutt I'm hearing at the negotiation table is the Stonefield Movie Theater is very much potentially alive. The Regal Movie Theater is potentially alive. And they're renegotiating terms of the lease. 
and if they can come to an agreement on the renegotiated terms, perhaps the Regal will stay in Stonefield, but they're asking for the private equity firm that owns the Stonefield shops to really cave in when it comes to some of these leasing terms. No we doubt. will follow it very closely. We yeah, follow I, it very I mean, closely. I did see, I did see that they were, uh, they were ad- advertising a movie that starts after they're closing. They were supposed to be supposedly closing. But that also could be <clears throat> poor management. Yeah. Let's cut to the chase. Or it could be that whoever's doing the Facebook post doesn't know uh, what's going on. Right. I mean, a lot of times the social media, we know this firsthand, a lot of times the social media responsibility for businesses is, is, is put on the shoulders of a part-time employee. And then folks, the, the bosses realize very quickly, good Lord, this is one of the most public interfacing things we do, the communication on these social channels. Maybe we should hire VMV brands to do the work, which is how we make our living, this advertising agency and the building we're in currently right now that we have 24 tenants in. Um, All right, a lot I want to cover. So I still need to discuss the murder in Grove Street. Eldridge Skeeter Smith, um, a man who's 36 years old, father, murdered in his SUV, multiple bullets in his body, someone I've known since he was a basketball player at Charlottesville High School. Um, standout basketball player, an all-Jefferson district performer, all-Central Virginia performer. I was a sports writer for the Daily Progress, part-time sports writer, and I covered Skeeter Smith um, because he was great on the basketball court. And when you're a sports writer, you cover talented athletes. So I got to know him through many interviews. Do you have the map saved from yesterday where the shootings are in the Fifeville neighborhood? Uh, Let's see. If you can put that on screen, that would... uh, be um, beneficial to the viewers and listeners and just give us a thumbs up when it goes on screen. Um, Mike Cotchis, chief of police, Michael Cotchis of the Charlottesville police department um, said that Eldridge Skeeter Smith likely knew his murderer. So the person or people that killed Skeeter likely um, were acquaintances or someone that Skeeter knew. That's extremely worrisome. Um, Chief Michael Kacha says, this is, we do not believe this to be random. He says, we believe that the person may have been known to Mr. Smith, uh, Chief Kacha said. Chief Kacha says, um, we believe somebody knows what happened. Look at the screen, guys. Look at the screen now. Look at the screen. You'll see two red circles on screen. This is where um, the murder took place over the weekend. And then this is where the shots fired, multiple shots fired. In fact, our contacts in the police department said um, the gunfire from 36 hours ago, was it on Patton? Was it Patton, Judah? Uh, The second... uh, Was it Patton Street? Yeah, the gunshots fired uh, somewhere around Grover Patton. Yeah. The one that was from 36 hours ago, our our friends within the police department have said that... um, Many vehicles along Patton were sprayed with ammunition. Fortunately, mm-hmm. no one was hurt. But we have new developments to, to relay to you from Chief Cotchis. Chief Cotchis said, J-Dubs, that Skeeter Smith likely knew who killed him. And Chief Cotchis said that um, we do not believe this to be random violence. Chief Cotchis um, says, somebody knows what happened and detectives are working on this as we speak. 
Skeeter was 36. He was a father, and he was a member of the city's Buck Squad, hmm. which is a group dedicated to keeping gun violence off Charlottesville streets. Skeeter Smith was also heading to work at 10 p.m. when he died of multiple gunshot wounds um, while sitting in an SUV near Fifeville Park. So the developments we'll talk about before we go to the next story is Skeeter, according to the police chief, likely knew who killed him. Yeah. And Cotchus indicating that this is not random violence. You want to unpack that? And then the Fifeville residents that reached out to us um, through email, direct message on social, text message, um, some on the Fifeville Neighborhood Association are literally begging. They're begging the Charlottesville Police Department for additional patrols in the neighborhood. I heard from seven folks after yesterday's show that live in that neighborhood, and they are pleading us to continue this discussion and, and, and... get additional foot patrols around this neighborhood. Um, what do you make about the likely Skeeter knew his murderer comment from Conscious? I mean, and guys, I'll get to your comments in the feed here in about two minutes. So if you want some comments to be heard on air, put them in the feed. What do you make of that? I, mean, I suppose it makes sense. I believe that uh, a lot of violent crimes are perpetrated on people who know the perpetrator. Um, so it certainly tracks with that. I don't know what it means. Uh, I'll unpack it this way. I apologize without, for interrupting. Without knowing what, uh, what he's involved in, it's hard to say, you know, whether this is a personal, you know, a personal disagreement, a vendetta, uh, or what. Um, the king of Redfields is watching right now, Bob Yarborough. We love Bob Yarborough. He's the king of the Redfields neighborhood. He says if Skeeter was on his way to work, the killer or killers likely knew his schedule. Could be. Um, did Cotchis, when he said that Skeeter likely knew his murderer, like likely knew who killed him, whether it's one person or multiple people, does that suggest gang ties? I think maybe we're reading too much into that. I don't want to jump to conclusions. Comment. Uh, I, 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 I honestly don't know. Um, but uh, if, like you suggested, that uh, the um, the sprayed bullets um, were retaliation, were some kind of retaliation, then you're talking about the shooting from like 36 hours ago. Yeah, that if those two uh, if those two incidents were connected then it does make a certain sort of sense that, uh, that it could have been gang and or drug related. And um, uh, who knows? Somebody was unhappy uh, with... Uh, somebody was unha- unhappy and uh, took their revenge on the neighborhood the next, you know, a day or two later. All right, I'm trying to just connect the dots. Yeah. That's all I'm doing is trying to connect the dots, right? Yeah. We're, I mean, we're, piece, makes it- we're piecemealing information and evidence in real time on a talk show, right? Yeah. You got a 36-year-old who was murdered on his way to work. Not just one bullet in his body, but multiple bullets in his body. I'd say he was murdered at home. 
Well, he right? was murdered. We know for a fact he was murdered on, on the way to work. Multiple folks have indicated that Skeeter Smith was on his way to work when he got murdered. So he doesn't live on Grove? We could likely figure out where he's living um, online, but Cautious and the Buck Squad have both indicated on the record that Skeeter was on his way to work when he was murdered near okay. Fifield Park. I got you. I just took that to mean that he had gotten into his car preparatory to, go to going to work and was, was killed there, but I, I get if he had... Uh, if he'd actually been driving. That's a fair, fair response there. What stage of his on the way to work was he actually in is what you're asking. Yeah. That's a f- great question. Excellent, excellent, excellent um, question there from Judah Wickhauer. Was it in his driveway? Was it near his house? Was it in yeah. his home? Was it, you know, that's great. That's great right there. Right. So here's what we know. Two, two. These are the questions that you, the Charlottesville and Central Virginian resident, are likely asking. Was this gang-related? Was the the second shooting from like 36 hours ago retaliation for the murder? Or even just connected in any way? Was it connected in any way, exactly? Aside from the neighborhood. Right. Cautious said that... Skeeter likely knew who killed him. Yeah. That's a new piece of evidence mm-hmm. right there. Likely knew who killed him. Um, and Scotcha said, we're asking the community for help. Buck Squad, the anti-gun violence, the folks in this community that are doing great work trying to fight gun violence and crime, de-escalating gun violence before it starts. The mm-hmm. Buck Squad has indicated that... Um, Skeeter was a member of the squad. That's a, a new piece of information, right? Yeah. So if Skeeter gets on the Buck squad. He's motivated enough to try to do good things for the community to combat gun and gang violence that he's spending his most precious commodity, his time, volunteering for a nonprofit. Yeah. New piece of information right there. Community is reaching out to me left and right in that Fifield neighborhood, saying, please keep talking about this, Jerry. Please encourage the police in your contacts to get more patrol cars in our neighborhood, please. It seems a little too on point that uh, he's part of the Buck Squad, and the Buck Squad is uh, working to reduce gun violence in Charlottesville. I wonder if there's a connection there. Were they they perhaps uh, getting on someone's nerves? we know that the we know that uh, we've got gang, you know, gang activity going on in Charlottesville. Um, I'm not going to go down that road. Res- respectfully, respectfully disagree. Respectfully disagree. I'm going to give the Buck Squad the benefit of the doubt for as oh, long as possible. I'm not saying they're. I'm not saying that they had anything to do with it. I'm saying that could could it be that somebody knowing of the uh, the work that the Buck Squad is doing decided to try to stop them. Man, I certainly hope not. Yeah. That would be definition of ruthless and, and lacking any kind of human empathy possible. Well, I mean, they shot the guy in his car. Uh, I hope that's, that's not the case. Pretty ruthless that's not in case. itself. Um, the concerning thing is, this is the, the additionally concerning thing. Um, this was the third shooting in less than a week in Charlottesville. 
Um, as we indicated, an Almoro County public school middle schooler was shot outside Champion Brewery, and a woman was shot a few hours later, closer to downtown. And since September, so since September, Judah, of 2022, mm-hmm. nine people have been killed in Charlottesville and 17 injured by gunfire in Charlottesville, Almoro County. Yeah. So September, October, November, December, January, five months, nine people murdered. We're averaging roughly two murders a month here. Yeah. 17 injured by gunfire in Charlottesville and Almoro County since September. So you're talking over three people injured per month by guns. That's concerning. Yeah, definitely. That's very concerning. Um, yesterday on the talk show, we talked about policing and should the police department that's roughly one third understaffed currently utilize its extremely limited resources to targeted patrols, profiled patrols, focused patrols, directed patrols for areas of violence. Mm-hmm. The large, the overwhelmingly, overwhelming response to yesterday's show for me was absolutely yes, the police should be doing that. Absolutely yes. In fact, I have yet to receive feedback from a viewer or listener or an elected official or a police department member that has said, um, do not do profiled patrols. Have you gotten any feedback like that? No. Yeah, I, I have not gotten it. And I was concerned utilizing the phrase profiled patrol that it would generate a lot of negative feedback, especially from socialist Charlottesville. But that has not happened yet. So we'll see how they respond. Um, we got text message, text message, a text message during yesterday's show from an actual member on the police department saying that Cotchis is going to listen to learn and walk the streets of neighborhoods that have a high violent crime rate and that um, he's going to ask the residents what they want. Yeah. Well, um, we knew he was doing walk and talks, right? Walk and talks. Um, the, my anonymous... I have many anonymous sources within the police department, many, and they call it um, community-based policing is the phrase that's being used. Community-based policing um, yeah. is what we're getting text. And I think that's great. Yeah. I think that's absolutely fantastic. Yeah, we so, talked about it yesterday and the fact that it helps to, uh, it helps to humanize both sides of, of uh, you know, the, uh, the police and the, and the citizens. And, <clears throat> and, when, uh, and when that happens, I think there's less likely to be misunderstandings, less likely to be... Uh, um, uh, figurative stones thrown at uh you know when you when you know your local police officers it's a lot harder to to demonize them and when police know their know their local constituents it's a lot harder to to fire on someone that uh that you may you know in other circumstances not know and and uh and make a poor decision about we got uh, both TV stations and a print outlet watching us currently, Judah, on the program. Um, Kevin Yancey says the first step, and, and we'll get to your comments now. I'll read your comments here. 
Kevin Yancey, who's in Waynesboro, the mayor of Waynesboro, he says the first line of business, aside from day-to-day -day ops, should be a fully staffed police department, should be staffing the department in totality. I agree with that. And we talked about the defund the police movement mm -hmm. um, over the last week. And while the police department in Charlottesville has not been defunded financially, right. we can certainly make a very convincing argument that, defund, that the defund the police movement has impacting um, quality candidates or engagement of filling these open positions. Like why would somebody want to get into this line of work when you're already underpaid underappreciated, cannot afford to live in the community you serve, and then most of the community is going to dislike you. So it's creating a sense of why would I pursue that line of work, which often then means that someone that has to fill vacancies is left with not the best candidates to fill the spots. Because sure. the best ones are probably saying, from a common sense standpoint, folks don't like, don't like us, I can't afford to live here, I'm going to have to commute from far away to take this job and I'm underpaid and underappreciated, let me figure out something else to do. Yeah. Um, so, Warrior AG on Twitter, Albert Graves III says, um, did he live in the area? Who was he there to see if he didn't live there? Could it be a hit because of the involvement with the Buck squad? A lot to unpack for sure. Judo is wondering the same. Currently, what I'm going to do, I, I'm, I'm absolutely going to go give the benefit of the doubt to the Buck Squad. Um, I'm not I, sure what you mean by that. I mean, I just can't imagine that this guy, that, that Skeeter was murdered because he was a part of the Buck Squad. It is kind of hard to believe. I mean, it, <clears throat> I, I think the, the group probably has a, a big outreach into the local community. So it, it does seem unlikely that somebody would have a beef with them. Uh, but... The connection with you know gun violence and him getting killed by gun violence is uh, kind of hard to ignore. Lisa Costello on one of the 15 Facebook pages this show is airing upon says, if this is gang or drug related, dealers are going to protect their turf and money. Police chief walking around is good for community relations, but it will not dissuade drug dealers who are here to make money and are willing to hurt anyone who gets in their way. I mean, to further put this in perspective, I saw this on one of the social media platforms. Um, one of the Holiday Inn hotels locally, did you see this? Someone was talking about the fact that uh, they're not, they won't allow anyone to stay there that lives within 50 miles. Yeah. You see that? Yeah. That's concerning. Holiday Inn, one of the Holiday Inn hotels in Charlottesville, uh, around Charlottesville, excuse me, said that they will not rent rooms, hotel rooms, to locals. Yeah, because of the drug trade. Because the locals who end up renting the rooms that are at the Holiday Inn are utilizing them for uh, drug, prostitution, or crime activity. Yeah. So they completely said, we're not going to rent to people anywhere that's within 50 miles of Charlottesville from a driver's license standpoint. Put that, in, that puts things in perspective. Yeah. Prostitution, yes. drugs, and other crime. There's definitely something going on around here. Um, I, uh, in regards to... Uh, and that's the Holiday Inn on <laughs> Route 29, close in, to the hospital. In regards to policing, uh, not, uh, not stopping drugs and gangs, I, I, I think the, the, the uh, directed patrolling won't necessarily stop them, but hopefully it will uh, 
bring down instances where these people feel like they have carte blanche to just pull out guns in the middle of the street in in Charlottesville and uh, I think once once we get that once we get that taken care of hopefully the uh, the police will also be concurrently with that um, looking to uh, you know looking to take down the bad actors in, in the city and hopefully uh, hopefully the uh, the drug trade and the gangs will uh, will start to you know start to peter out uh, Matt Daring watching the program he says the United States is the only country in the world that has more guns than people and then we act surprised when we have gun violence he says there's 466 million guns at least 393 million civilian owned. And he says, according to that ratio, that's approximately 1.4 guns per person. If that ratio holds true for Charlottesville City, that means we have nearly 70,000 guns in the city of Charlottesville. Um, believe Matt has an accounting background, if memory serves correct, Matt. I think you do have an accounting background. Um, Conscious has got a steep climb in front of him. You and I disagree on this part. You believe that Conscious was very well aware of what he was getting himself into, taking the Charlottesville police chief job. I, if I'm under the impression that he underestimated how dubious this task is. Um, and what I was basing that statement on was the OK Corral gunfight in downtown Belmont that led to the death of someone before Conscious took the job. And then... He started this month. I mean, he's not even a month on the job. Right. He's got a murder by Fifefield Park, a middle schooler shot by Champion Brewery, another woman shot a couple hours later, and then spraying ammunition around a neighborhood. Yeah. Um, questions that are fair is what does this violence do to, say, Fifefield home values? Yeah. Does the violence impact home values of homeowners on or and around Cherry Avenue? It's a very fair question. Yeah. If you have people spraying bullets and you have someone murdered very closely together, does this impact the home values of the homes around, on and or off Cherry Avenue and in Fifeville? Let's say it probably won't affect their assessments to... Uh make any make any difference for uh for this year's taxes but um the uh yeah the assessments are up that's one of the topics we're going to talk about on today's show based on deep throat's comment which i will get to here very quickly deep throat if you're watching um do you think it impacts the home values around fifell and off cherry avenue uh, i got a take on this but i'm curious of your take I think in the long run, probably not. I, in the short run, uh, I, would, I could certainly see it scaring off potential buyers if there were any homes for sale in the area uh, in, the next, uh, in the next few weeks or maybe even months. But I think, over, I think overall, if uh, this doesn't become, as long as this doesn't become a, uh, a regular a regular affair, uh, people getting murdered, and 
cars and possibly homes getting shot up, then uh, if if that doesn't become a regular happening, then I I don't think it would seriously affect the prices. Um, I'm I'm inclined to agree with your take. I do think the Fife-filled Neighborhood Association has got an issue that it needs to manage. Yeah. And that issue is a safety issue. That issue is an outreach issue with the police. That issue is a brand management or perception issue. Yeah. That issue is, um, is real and legitimate. But to Judah's point, this area is so tight on inventory. And that Fifeville area in Charlottesville City is one of the very last few pockets of, of air quotes, affordability. Hmm. that I don't think it's going to impact home values in the long run. In right. fact, I would not be surprised if we see Fifeville in the next five to ten years uh, look completely different with the homes that are currently standing, some of them, not all of them, raised rebuilt, and rebuilt from scratch. Yep. Because it's – and a lot of the houses, the, the dirt is the value because right. of the proximity in the city right in Midtown. Yeah. A lot, a lot of them need some TLC. I can definitely see that. Yeah, so I, we're, we're, we're in agreement there. Correction, it's Matt Daring, and he has an accounting degree, but he's a data analyst for the last 10 years. Um, appreciate your comments. Um, let's see how the Fifield Neighborhood Association responds to this. I think they should issue a statement. We're getting reached out in anonymous fashion from members of the association saying, please, 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 Jerry and Judah, keep talking about this. Hmm. I, if I was, um, and you know, we're in the branding business, advertising business, mm-hmm. advertising agency, 107 clients active as of today. Um, the Fightfield Neighborhood Association should release some kind of statement. We're on what... Uh where would they release it? Put it on social media. News will pick Facebook. it up. We'll start talking about it. That when we start talking yeah. about it, TV and print, which is watching, will report on it. That's fair. And they just say, we're worried. Yeah. We, we need the community's help in solving the problem. We need Charlottesville Police's help with additional patrols. We're worried. Yeah. Um, I think you guys should, should put out in a statement that's on the record. I understand that you're concerned from a safety standpoint for retaliation if this is gang violence. The saying is snitches get stitches, and that's being put in the feed now. It was put in the feed yesterday. But the, the I, statement I from the Fightville Association can be a group statement. It doesn't have to be an individual human statement. It could just be from the association in totality. Even if it was, I, th- I think that... Uh, I think that... It's getting overused a little what, bit. What, snitches get stitches? Yeah. Yeah, it's a cliche. Yeah, and it's... it's a cliche. I, I, don't know that it, I don't know that there's really any reason for it to, for it to apply here. If, I, I, if, I respectfully disagree with you. And you're saying that, and, and, and I'm saying this as well, you're saying that with the lens of a... I'm saying that with of the a lens white of, man, of a white male. I'm seeing that in the lens of nobody's not, snitching on anybody. Who's getting snitched on? J-Dubs, J-Dubs. Kachis is openly, openly asking on the record for the community's help in solving this crime. He said, someone knows something. Please help us solve this murder. Yeah. So he's literally asking somebody to say, I saw this. Tell us what happened. 
And that would definitely apply if somebody was like, yeah, I saw this guy who I know goes by, uh, goes by whatever it is. JT. Yeah, whatever it is. And uh, that's snitching and possibly getting stitches. But, uh, but I, I do having a same- neighborhood organization put a post on Facebook saying we're worried about our neighborhood because some stuff's ha- been happening. Who is that snitching on? Explain to me how that how the, there's a connection there. Well, I and, and for the sake of a talk show, not even for the sake. Of, I strike that altogether. Not for the sake of a talk show, just real life perspective. You're a white guy. What you have gone through as a white male in your forty some years on this planet is very different than what maybe a black male or a black female has gone through with their time on this planet. That's safe to say. I'm sure it is. And, and, and a black male and a black female, what they've gone through on this planet, how they interact or, or, or consider the police or how the police has treated them is quite possibly very different than how you've been treated. No doubt. So because of that history of, of police interaction, perhaps... perhaps um, how they go about interacting with the police is different as well. So that should be considered. I st- I'm, I'm not sure how any of that connects to, uh, to what we were talking about, though. How you no, I, I understand interact the- with police is not necessarily how others interact with police if other folks have been systematically oppressed by the police. They might be less likely to interact with the police. I agree with you 100%, but I still don't see how that I don't see a connection between what you're talking about and snitches get stitches. Like if somebody, uh, <clears throat> if the Fifeville na- neighborhood organization posted something on Facebook, what are they snitching about? Not necessarily snitching, just saying, give us more police. I mean, you, you alluded at the beginning of the show, is Eldridge Smith, is, is this a potential retaliation because he's a member of the Buck Squad? And by that illusion of you saying, did he get killed because he's potentially a member of this organization, that same logic can be utilized by saying, Fifeville Neighborhood Association is saying, get us more police here. Same thing. But that's still not snitching. All right, we'll, we'll, we're splitting hairs here. We're splitting hairs. Let's keep, we'll move on. I, Fifeville Neighborhood Association, you've reached out to us. You've requested an anonymity. Some of the folks in the association. My advice to you, which was the same advice that I said yesterday, was you guys should release a collective statement to the press. You can send it to us. Once it gets on this show, it will get far and wide. Send that statement to the police. Send it to us saying we want more patrols. Yeah. I think you should do that. It does not even have to be signed by one person. It can just be signed by the association in totality because I understand you may be fearful of retaliation. I understand that. It's very logical that you could be. Um, Lisa says, um, well, it should show that Fifield Neighborhood Association is, is showing some leadership in these trying times and not sitting back twiddling their thumbs um, as folks get shot and killed in their midst. Yeah, I mean, that's what a neighborhood association does. It utilizes the power of a collective voice yeah. to get something accomplished through that collective voice and through policy and through statements and through organization. That's the whole concept of it. Some associations are better than others. 
Yeah. Some are loosely formed. Some are super strong. I watched a, a neighborhood, a, a neighborhood association in eastern Almora County in the Keswick area uh, organize and galvanize and keep the Breezy Hill development right around the corner from the neighborhood from materializing in the way that the developer actually wanted it to be. And now it's 80-some units when the developer wanted it to be considerably more. And the sole reason the Breezy Hill neighborhood did not get developed at the maximum density that the developer wanted was because of the Glenmore Neighborhood Association. That's literally what happened. It showed the power of the association. Mm -hmm. Um, That's a tough spot. Tough spot. I literally woke up today. First thing I said to my wife when I woke up, And in fact, I said this to you when you walked in, when you walked into the studio this morning. I said, first thing I did when I woke up, I went to the news and I said, did anyone get shot today? Was there gunfire last night? And then I breathed a sigh of relief that there was none. I think that was the first thing I said to you when you walked in. No one got shot yesterday. Yeah. All right, we'll get to your comments here. Um, Grayson watching the program in downtown in Belmont. He says, Jerry and Judah, the show's been on absolute fire of late. Please understand that you guys are my family's source of news. We tune in routinely. My wife from work, me from the basement while working as well. Please keep up the good work and please continue talking about topics that matter and topics like this. You're making an impact. Thank you, Grayson. We appreciate your viewership and listenership on this fine and fair talk show. Uh, we will try to continue the hard work, um, sir. Let's get to Deep Throat's comments. Did you read them? Yeah. Me too. Um, Deep Throat, if you're still watching, um, Matt has um, one beef with your uh, Charlottesville student enrollment statement. So let me read uh, Deep Throat's comment, and then I'll get to Matt's response on this show. So Deep Throat's sending me a direct message on Twitter, and Matt's responding in the comment section of my personal Facebook page. Deep Throat said this earlier this week. It's resonated with me. Um, He said, the big question to me is how the city is absorbing and spending such a large increase in revenue. If I look at taxable properties, and I exclude UVA public properties, the assessed value in Charlottesville City since 2021 is up 21%. If we factor in the increase in the tax rate by one cent, we're up 22.5% since 2021. Deep Throat says, and yet public school enrollment is down and police staffing is way down. Schools and police are usually the two largest cost centers for any municipality. It makes you go, hmm. That hmm can be packed in a lot of different ways, right? Yeah. It basically wants to know, where's the money going? Right. Where the hell's the money going? Maybe the money's going to the time when we had three or four city managers on the payroll at once. Yeah. Uh, Maybe the money's going to... Severance pay is a... Is a you know what? Severance pay, severance package. Maybe the money's going to um, the Robert Bob Group and Michael Rogers, the mercenary city manager, who is still the city manager. 
Maybe the money is going to consultants. We know the Charlottesville city likes hiring consultants. For example, right. the Belmont Bridge. Yeah. Maybe the money is going to hiring firms that help navigate the chief of police hiring. Maybe the money is going to hiring firms that will help the city navigate the hiring of a new city attorney and a ton of vacancies in City Hall. Yeah. Maybe the money is going to um, PR conundrums that the city currently has had over the last few years. The next PR conundrum the city of Charlottesville has on its, on its plate, and we've talked about this. I was talking yesterday with a established restaurant owner on the downtown mall. Yeah. I won't say his name, friend of the program. You know him. We've done work on his restaurant website, restaurant logo, and help promote his restaurant. We'll talk about it off air who it is. Don't try to play guessy guess who it is. You know who it is. Um, he said that the aggressive panhandling undoubtedly has had an impact on his business. Um, especially in the colder months when there's less people there, which makes it seem like there's more panhandlers. Yeah. And he says when there's less people on the mall, the panhandlers are more brazen and ballsy than when there's more people on the mall because people have a safe, uh, have a sense of, 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 of safety walking in numbers. Yeah. As you opposed always, to walking individually. Yeah. It's a lot easier to, it's a lot easier to walk to the other side of the, uh, of the downtown mall uh, knowing that you've got a um, a wall of humanity between yourself. Yeah, you're in a group. And, or not even in a group, but just, hey, I see this guy over on the left. I'm going to move over to the right. Everybody else that's you know walking past in between us is an effective block so that I don't have to deal with the guy. Uh, if you're the only person on the downtown mall and you get spotted, then uh, there's very little you can do to escape the, the baleful eye. I mean, I, I agree. I mean, 2023, probably not just a, a 2023, um, probably not just a 2023 behavior. I mean, one of the ways that I'm trying to manage aggressive panhandling is try to distance myself from the aggressive panhandler. And like you said, if, I mean, you and I spend a lot of time downtown, so we're more the anomaly and not the norm. I mean, we know who the aggressive panhandlers are. I don't even know if I know who they are. I certainly do. It, and I avoid. When I see down... <clears throat> this is crazy. You want to... this? So you know... I'm, I'm downtown seven days a week. Like you, we take breaks to get out of the office. We often are on the mall, or we're getting food on the mall. We're getting pizza. Was it Vita Nova? Yeah. Getting pizza on Vita Nova. You and I routinely are walking the mall. One of the things I'm doing now, this is unfortunate, is I'm looking hundreds of as far as my eyes can see down the mall for the five or six aggressive panhandlers that I know that are out there. And if I see them down the mall, I change course. Yeah. Situational awareness. Yeah. Situational awareness. I'm kind of like that anyways. Um, but that's concerning being aware of my surroundings. So, you know, like I said, if like, uh, I literally have said, I'm not going to get a slice of pizza for I, our studios on four on uh, for those that don't know on market street, at the corner of 4th and Market, right next to the grocery store. And then I'll come down 4th Street, Heather Higher Way, and yeah. get on the mall. Vita Nova's literally right around the right corner. Right around the corner. But sometimes I'll be like, why don't I walk a little bit to get some fresh air? Because I've been in the studio so long, I'll get a slice from Christian's and bring it back. Yeah. And I literally, multiple times, have said, I'm not going to eat pizza at Christian's. I turn back, 
and go to Vita Nova for the slice of pizza instead of walking down the downtown Malta Christians because I see aggressive panhandlers ahead. So that keeps the money from going to Christians. Yeah, or wherever else. Or wherever else. The dumpling shop is a good example. I like the dumplings and get them occasionally. I've changed course from Marco and Luca and said I'm not going to go there because I'm going to have to interact with this guy because the mall is completely vacant. Yeah. Situational awareness. I've, I happen to be lucky enough to have an awesome dog, and I, uh, I think she— And your dog looks scary, but she's not. I think she helps protect me. Uh, uh, just not, not that she's in the I mean, slightest. she's a pit bull mix. She looks scary, she but she's the best scary. dog in the world. But she's not the slightest bit dangerous yeah, to yeah. anyone. Your, your dog would not hurt a—if if your dog saw a fly, she would not— she would have, not hurt the fly. I have to say, she would hurt. Uh, she would hurt a, a squirrel, and she has been known to uh, take out some some mice. She's a good mouser, but but uh, she looks intimidating. So really, you got the best dog in the world—a dog that, from a perception standpoint, looks like will tear your head off. But a dog, from a reality standpoint, if she saw your head, she'd come up and lick it. Yeah. You got the best dog in the world. Liza's the best dog in the world. Yeah, she's a sweetheart. So you're you're saying when the dog is with you, no one messes with you. I've had people, I've still had people, you know, come up and, and ask, for, ask for money or whatever, but uh, I, maybe, uh, maybe uh, I've just been blessed uh, when I... I'd say you've been blessed. Well, I mean, in this particular... Uh, to your credit, you knew that dog was going to be awesome when you adopted her. I had a... I, I mean, I didn't know, but she seemed, uh, she seemed calm and relaxed and, uh, and that... Uh, spoke to me he I rescued lies i wasn't talking about creatures. that though i was talking about the fact that uh the times that i have i've been lucky in the times that i have been uh asked for money on the downtown mall at least in recent memory uh my insistence that i don't have any cash on me has i think all almost always been enough to uh to turn people around well i, I never have cash on me and can i offer a free piece of advice Free piece of advice to any of the panhandlers out there. A, work on your pitch and your shtick and your elevator pitch. Yeah. B, go to Square and get a free Square reader. Mail, can you get it mailed to you? Sent to you wherever you're, you, may, you may not have an address. Get a Square reader, something that potentially plugs into your phone. And if folks say, I don't have any money, I never have cash on me. Just you can literally your get your Square and your card and say, hey, I take cards. For my panhandling. Uh, square, the Square reader that plugs into your phone is free from Square. Square makes its money by a cut of each transaction. Do most people not have cash on them anymore? I don't. Have a Square reader I, on your phone and say, oh, you don't have cash? I'll, I, I take I debit cards I don't even for carry, my panhandling. I don't even carry my wallet around anymore. I usually just carry like my, uh, my your phone. Your phone has the credit card slot? Debit no, card slot? No, I, I'll, I'll bring like my phone, a credit card, and, and my, my driver's license. Well, let's, and, and we're, we're getting sidetracked over here. Um, anonymous, Deep Throat, your comments about the assessments going up, the tax rate going up, and where's the money going, especially when school enrollment is down and the police is vacant. The police department is very vacant with staffing. Um, Matt has um, a little a bit of beef with that, and he says anonymous, and anonymous, I, so Matt Anonymous, I know who he is. I've met him three times now. I'm respecting his anonymity until he allows me, if he does or if he does not, 
to say who he is. I am permitted by Anonymous to say that, that he is a finance guy, a data guy, numbers guy, finance guy. So he loves data and numbers. Interestingly, Anonymous, Matt is the same. Um, he is, has an accounting background, um, but for the last 10 years, he's been a data analyst for the University of Virginia. So you guys do have a lot of similarities. Matt says this to Anonymous. Um, the stats that you indicated with Charlottesville City enrollment being down are incorrect. Matt says that enrollment is actually up. That um, being said, I still think that Anonymous's comment is relevant because... Oh, I think it's very relevant. Because are the student, are, is enrollment up enough to, uh, to bridge the gap in, in the, the money that's coming in? Right, I, th- I think it's an extremely relevant comment. I don't, I'm, I'm, pretty much every comment Anonymous leaves on the show I think is relevant. Um, Matt says this, both Albemarle County Public Schools and Charlottesville City Schools are growing. 13,970 in 2022, in 2022-2023, 13,532 in 2020-2021, which is an increase of 438, a 3.2% increase um, in Albemarle County. And in Charlottesville City, we've had a 5.3 increase. In 2022-2023 school year, there were 4,491 students. And in the 2020-2021 school year, there were uh, 4,265 students, which is an increase of 226, a 5.3% increase. So Matt says that both ACPS and Charlottesville Public Schools, and he's utilizing data from uh, schoolquality.virginia.gov, both are increasing. Both are increasing. Um, in fact, he's doing comments in real time. Matt says all grades are increasing except third grade. All grades except third grade are increasing over the last two years. Hmm. I, f- I, I found that interesting, that comment. Um, but it still is a legitimate question. Where's the money going, Judah? Yeah. Where's the money going? Right. Charlesville City had a massive surplus. A massive, massive surplus. Charlottesville City, I was talking with the restaurant owner yesterday. He was talking about how the meals tax was going to increase again. And he was very demoralized that the meals tax was increasing. Because he said he hears firsthand from customers the exorbitant amount of meals taxes in Charlottesville is keeping some of his customers from coming frequently to his restaurant downtown. Yeah. Um, And he said, as a restaurant owner, we have a collision of headwinds. And those headwind collisions are the gun violence downtown, the aggressive panhandling downtown, um, inflation, increased cost of goods, the labor market lack thereof, the expensive labor market for the ones that want to work. And he said meals taxes. He says all those things working at the same time truly are massive headwinds for us to overcome. Things like the uh, first night not going on. First night, New Year's Eve celebration canceled. That was probably a, a hit to the uh, local local business pocketbooks, especially books. in the cold winter months. Yeah, especially in the cold winter months. Um, another headwind that he identified yesterday to me was even in his restaurant is as established as it gets on the downtown mall, as established as it gets. Mm-hmm. Approaching twenty years in business, his restaurant. 
He said another thing that's working against him is the fact that not all the restaurants are open. Is that you're saying that's like the uh, what is it? The, what do they call it? The broken window effect. Yeah. He says he's encouraged his colleagues to be like open, consistent hours all the time. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, you know, I've talked about uh, talked about one particular place on the downtown mall that uh, I guess has decided to just do lunch, so they don't have uh, they don't have evening dinner dining anymore. And uh, and I, you know, I I went to get food there one time, and they were. You know, it was, it was like two forty-five, and they were closing up. Like, okay, well, uh, that's a shame. Yeah, because then you're not going to go back. Yeah, why am I going to go looking for to try to go to the place when I don't know if they're even going to be open or not? Fair. I mean, question. They're closing at two forty-five. And I said to I said to this restaurant owner, and you have too many restaurants downtown. He goes, I disagree with that statement. He said having a full clip of restaurants downtown, he sees as good. Because it gives reason to come to these eight blocks. Yeah. So he says he disagrees that too many downtown works against the restaurants. He says it's more like rising tide, good for all ships. Which I thought about. It. I'm like, whoa, okay. Um, That's fair. And, and, you know, that is fair. Um, so I want to know what the city is going to do if it's truly focused on f- affordability on housing overhead. Because the assessments are up double digits. I yeah. mean, I have a lot of commercial real estate that we own. Um, and mine, commercials, 13% year-over-year increase. Residential's up as well. Yeah. Um, assessments the city can't control because those are tied to market value. Tax rate the city can't control. Yeah. And if the tax rate, if they choose to raise the tax rate on real estate, then the city is actually saying, we're not really focused on affordability guys or at yeah. least we don't care about the folks that are on a fixed income or or out of work or or marginally employed yeah because i've heard it said that uh that oftentimes cities will once once assessments come in and they're and they've risen by quite a bit uh oftentimes cities will lower the tax rate to nelson county to basically basically budget out, neutral yeah nelson county did that and that's incredible and shout out to Jesse Rutherford, who we uh, Jesse Rutherford's going to be on the show on Friday. Yeah, no, it's the county board of supervisor. Again. <clears throat> um, if our elected officials in the city of Charlottesville raise the real estate tax rate, they don't really care about affordability from a housing standpoint. It's going to hurt a lot of people. And the tax relief program, if you own a home and you got equity in it, you're likely going to fall out of the tax relief program. Hmm. And, and homes have massively appreciated over the last couple years. So you're sitting on stacks of paper if you own a house in this city, if you've owned it for a few years. Sitting on stacks of paper that you can't touch. Right. It's, on, it's literally on paper wealth. Yeah. Paper like, wealth. Like Not that, tangible wealth. That would be awesome if somehow you got like a dividend off the, uh, the growth of of the worth of your home. Well, you can kind of do that, but I don't suggest you do it. It's called a home equity line of credit, or you're pulling on the massive equity that you got. But I don't suggest people do that unless they choose to pay it off right away. Yeah. Um, Watch the electeds closely now that it's budget season and hold them accountable. 
Virginia football schedule was released for 2023. We've got about three minutes left here on the talk show. Three minutes left on the talk show. The Virginia football schedule was released, and guys, I do not see in this schedule how Tony Elliott's football team is going to win more than four or five games next year. I mean, the teams on the schedule where you would say are victories, like the cupcake teams, we're not, we don't even have cupcake teams anymore. This is our out-of-conference schedule. Tennessee, JMU, James Madison, Maryland, William & Mary is our out-of-conference schedule. James Madison is, is a beast. Who wants to play Tennessee and Nashville to start the season? And Maryland and College Park is going to be a dogfight. William & Mary at home is certainly very winnable. And then you got Boston College and Chestnut Hill, NC State at home, Brennan Armstrong likely quarterbacking the Wolfpack, coming to Scott Stadium on the 22nd of September. You don't think Brennan Armstrong is going to be fired up to play his old team? North Carolina at Chapel Hill on October 21, Miami and Coral Gables, Georgia Tech on the 4th of November in Charlottesville at Louisville, and then Duke and Virginia Tech to close the season at Scott Stadium. Tony Elliott very well could finish with two, three, four wins this season. The question I have for you, if Tony Elliott finishes this year with two, three, or four wins, how hot is his hot seat? And shockingly, after one season, Elliott's, hot, Elliott's seat is already pretty damn hot. And the reason his seat is already pretty damn hot is because he took a football roster this past year that was loaded with talent, especially on the offensive side of the ball, and he struggled. He struggled. And it looks like by this 20, 2023 schedule that maybe four wins, maybe five wins is the likely outcome. Maybe the likely outcome. And if this football team wins four or five games, his hot seat's going to be burning his buns. Hmm. And the other unfortunate side effect of this is it hurts the uh, local economy. Hmm. When the football team's doing well, you've got 65,000 people at Scott Stadium staying yeah. for a weekend. And most of the times when you're renting a hotel room, uh, for a football game or an Airbnb, they require a multiple night rental on home football games. So you got folks staying a long weekend. When the team is struggling, when the team is struggling, you got an empty stadium and people not staying in the rooms, spending the money locally. Yeah, no doubt. So whether he wants to admit this or not, Coach Elliott, you are one of the top drivers of economic growth in the Charlottesville region. How's that for additional pressure for you, sir? Um, Bill McChesney said, we had to use a home equity line to finance the rebuilding of our porch collapse five years ago because insurance did not cover it. Home equity lines of credit, guys, should be used very cautiously. Very cautiously. Um, all right, news and notes. Yesterday we told you the MacArthur Center in Norfolk is heading to foreclosure proceedings. That used to be one of the sexiest malls in the Commonwealth. Much like Fashion Square Mall, it's struggling to keep foot traffic in play with many shoppers going to the internet for purchases. MacArthur Center in Norfolk heading to foreclosure. And an indoor pickleball center is coming to Chesterfield County, Virginia. Um, I would love to see an indoor pickleball center in the Charlottesville area because there is massive, massive potential with that sport from a business standpoint, locally. Um, and then lastly, the stay-at-home parents out there, one of them is texting me right now. The stay-at-home mom and dad, on average, 
is working 98 hours a week. The stay-at-home mom or dad's day starts at 6.23 in the morning on average. This is a survey, a study done by Welch's. 6.23 a.m., the stay-at-home mom or dad's schedule starts, and the day ends at 8.31 p.m. And there's usually only one and a half hours of free time during that day. The average stay-at-home parent is working 14 hours a day, 98 hours a week. So that's working at home, taking care of the kids. Driving the kids to and from school, feeding the kids, changing their diapers, waiting in the parking lot for their moms or dads to get in the car, Mm, Um, whatever it may be. Um, So I want to salute all the stay-at-home parents out there. You guys are true rock stars, 98 hours a week. On average, the stay-at-home parent is working 14 hours a day with their customer, the children, often unruly, unpredictable, temperamental, perhaps pooping and peeing their pants, not taking their naps or going to bed like they should. It's tough tough when the customer is related to you. My wife always says it's a good thing these kids are cute and adorable. They're Um, bred that way. I love you, sweetheart. See you shortly. Um, you did a great job today. Thank you. You've been really doing a great job. Uh, Judah Wickhauer, Jerry Miller, I Love Seville Show, raw and real topic matter on this program that pertains to you, the viewer and listener. So long, guys.